Hello and welcome to India Career Center, the one-stop podcast for students, professionals, parents and guardians. In every episode, we will try to deal with a current topic that needs expert advice related to career, career guidance and career mentoring. Please welcome your host Dr. S.P. Mishra to the show and happy listening. So welcome uh, ladies and gentlemen uh, to this uh, webinar today. Uh, this is to talk about the future of uh, healthcare sector. To to have this conversation today, we got we got uh, Gaurav Arora uh, and uh, Vivaswan Goshwal. Gentlemen, uh, thank you so much both of you to join here today for this uh, program. Uh, and uh, I know both of you have joined us early in the morning, Sunday morning <laughs> from Canada, Toronto. Uh, to set the context of today's uh, webinar, uh, I would like to take you through some of the highlights or some of the important aspects of how the world is going to be. So as per the studies uh, by UN, what is expected that the population in the world is going to be about 8.5 billion people from a current level of about 7.5 billion um, by 2030. And by 2030 also what we see is that um, about 1.4 billion people out of that will be more than 60 year old. And uh, of course, about 7.5 billion people will have access to internet uh, uh, connectivity. Uh, this is again a study by cybersecurity ventures. What are the global trends? If you look at the global trends, uh, digitization, decarbonization, population and health and energy security. These are the four major uh, global trends across the globe right now. And these will continue to be the focus areas for next 30, 40 years. Uh, now coming to specifically about the uh, population and healthcare, uh, by 2050, uh, it is expected that the world will have over 9 billion people on the uh, people, let's say from Canada, uh, all across the Europe, including Russia, Japan, all these places, the median age of these countries are over 40 right now already. So all across uh, North America, Europe, South America, Australia, Aust uh, Russia, Japan, all these places, the population are aging. So that's where uh, people will need more and more younger people to go there and, and contribute to those economies. So which means that a um, lot of skilled people from, from India, Asia, Africa, even Mexico and some part of Southern America will actually move around across the globe to, to provide those economical uh, young people uh, for the world. And uh, so, so along with the uh, population, the health is also going to be a big area of uh, focus. So people in India who are born in this category between 1997-2011, they constitute about 36 crore. And this is the demographic dividend of India, so-called demographic dividend of India, because these are the people who will remain, uh, keep our country young for a very long time. I think till, till about 2060, India will re remain a young country. At the same time, one must also understand that 
all these cohorts between 1997 to 2011 they will also have intense competition amongst themselves uh, so on one end it is good to have young people uh, in this age category at the same time uh, the resources are limited so right from studying to uh, occupation and and later on for everything there will be intense amount of competition so some of these young people might have to look at opportunities outside India as well. Now, uh, when it comes to choosing career, and I know most of you are probably college-going students who have joined us today. What you need to look at when you're choosing the right career, because college education is not the career. The career actually will start after your education is over, uh, because you're going to spend next 30, 40 years in the job job or occupation so what is important for a career is that three factors one is your personality which means that uh, you could be cheerful friendly you could be hardworking, you could be social you could be energetic you could be you know the, the thinking type and and so on and so forth so these are your personal traits right and then there are some natural inbuilt abilities which are basically the intellectual and mental abilities and everybody is different. So we need to look at that as well. And then what are your interests? Even if you have, let's say, took up uh, a specific education background, either you have taken up a particular stream, in that stream also it is possible to you know, take a route which is aligned to your interest as well. So when you're choosing your career post your education, it is important to take cognizance of all these three three aspects which is basically your your ability your interest and personality and mix it to the, together really to arrive at the suitable career path so that's that's how i call it that as the convergence of all these factors now what are the career options the world is around about 7.5 billion people today and by 2050 it will become 9 billion people so if you have so many people, what you need, the basic human needs are what? Basic human needs are food, clothes, home, infrastructure, energy, healthcare, education, entertainment, transportation, communication. If all of you are either you are a student or you are a parent and you have kid who has to take up a, uh, you know, a professional uh, uh, career in these areas, any of these areas, if you take up, you will be good in terms of uh, you know, having a sustainable career going forward. At the same time, uh, your technical skill or your, your, your core skill, along with that, what is also required is the 21st century skills. Because those are the skills which are going to be the differentiator amongst your cohorts. So whether it is complex problem solving, critical thinking, creativity, people management, and so on and so forth. Why these are important? Because we all know that digitization, automation, AI, all that is coming in a big way, and they will replace more and more mundane and repetitive tasks, which are predictable tasks. And uh, as human beings, we need to do things which are human where the human thinking is required humor skills are required and these are the skills which are going to be important for a long-term and sustainable career 
Now, specifically coming to healthcare sector, which is why we've got uh, two experts from Canada uh, joining us today. So today we'll try to see what are the different things which are happening in the uh, world. Uh, we saw how the COVID-19 has really impacted our lives uh, and how the vaccinations have been developed, which is unprecedented, uh, which is unthinkable the way uh, at, at the pace at which it has been uh, uh, developed and, and, and used across the world. Uh, though I think there are opportunities there as well. People are getting older, so a large part of the world, uh, ge geographically at least, are getting older. So that's an area of uh, opportunity as well as concern. Um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, those are the technologies which are coming in now uh, in a big way into, into the healthcare system. Remote mo monitoring and telehealth uh, already started, uh, but then more and more of this will come uh, as we go along. Uh, the the internet of things, uh, the wearables, I think some of it already were started using, but then a more uh, advanced version of this will come as, as we go along. The AR and VR and bioprinting, personalized medicine, uh, then obviously we have experts from the Canada, so we will also uh, listen from them as to what are the opportunities available for healthcare professionals in, in Canada. What are the different types of uh, roles with respect to patient-facing uh, roles? What are the technology and in the operations and back-end support? What is opportunity in the hospital management? And what is opportunity in the drug manufacturing? So broadly, these are the topics which are of interest for people who have joined us or who are going to see our video later on or listen to our podcast later on. So uh, without taking much time, we will dive into the discussion part. Uh, Bivasan, I would like to start with you uh, to talk about uh, uh, the COVID-19 and the vaccination part of it. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Uh, thanks, SP. Um, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. And, um, you know, it's a pleasure to share um, my knowledge and expertise with the uh, you know, students in across India. Um, first of all, I should give a disclaimer that I'm no expert on each of these fields. So I'll be talking about uh, in a general, you know, on, uh, idea because, um, yeah, it's just, this just a disclaimer. I'm not claiming that I'm an expert in everything. I'm uh, just a regular healthcare professional working uh, with the healthcare industry for the last 10 years. So that's where my understanding comes and uh, that's what I'll be speaking about. Um, so first of all, yes, COVID-19 had a huge impact on healthcare. Um, and there's both positive and negative, and I'm sure Gaurav will join in on this as well. But um, first of all, if I talk about the negatives, obviously we were in a pandemic for two years. Um, that has impacted our physical health, that has impacted our mental health, right? And um, and it has been really, you know, shown through research that uh, this will have a long-term effect. Um, so people who have already had COVID-19, um, they will have long-term physical effects um, throughout there that will impact their lives later on. Uh, people who have uh, not got COVID would probably get COVID sometime in the future. 
Um, and um, obviously now with vaccinations, um, things are going better. Things are looking a lot better. And, and um, even, you know, with newer variants, um, we are coping with COVID-19 in a, in a, in a very easier, easier way, but uh, still it's going to be there forever, right? It's not that it's going to vanish on, from the face of the earth. Uh, so we'll, we are just getting used to living with it as we have done with uh, like a SARS um, or, or a flu um, uh, virus, but this, this will be a regular thing going forward. Um, so obviously, you know, we have seen data that there has been a 25 to 30 percent increase in anxiety and depression in people uh, because of the isolations we were stuck for for a longer periods of time and um, you know even in North American countries Europe a lot longer than probably what you have seen in India uh, but these isolations have created um, or brought forward um, the mental health aspect of the um, you know of, of of the healthcare industry as well that mental health is being affected and and there's a lot we can we need to do to stay together to um to help each other out in terms of mental health but also get professional help right uh, which is not very common even in north american countries but it's it's basically you know speaking out about uh, the mental health concerns that you're going through talking you know treating mental health as health right so um you know, that's very important going forward. But what also, you know, at least in terms of Canada, what we saw is there was huge redeployment of staff because staff are getting COVID. They couldn't get into the hospitals anymore. So there was huge redeployment of staff um, just to work in the front line, just to help with COVID, right? So uh, what happened is there were in 2021 or 2022, there were almost, especially 2020, 2021 period where the pandemic was at peak, like the first wave and the third wave were the worst. But in these two years, there were almost uh, five lakh surgeries that did not happen as compared to 2019 or 2018, right? So five, you know, almost five lakh people didn't get the surgeries that they needed to you know, make them feel better if, and, and I'm not talking about like critical surgeries because even critical surgeries, like, um, you know, uh, an open heart surgery or a stent placement, these, these were uh, delayed as well, but regular surgeries like, uh, you know, a kidney stone or, um, or a hip re replacement, knee replacement surgeries, they were delayed and, and they're still delayed. Like there's people in Canada who are still waiting uh, over two years just to get their knee replacement done or as and this this is adding to the cost of healthcare as we go in right so um you know these people are going to get you know the delay that they're facing in their surgeries is going to have long-term impact in their health as well so it's it's a ripple effect right it's not that you know it happened for two years and now we are back to normal uh, we are traveling, we are, you know, leading our normal life doesn't mean that it won't have an impact long term on the healthcare. It, it is definitely going to have a long term impact. Right. And even in India as well. Right. You know, we have seen how um, the country has changed over time during the course of the pandemic. And this is going to be, um, you know, this is going to be the norm. Right. One thing I think where 
there was a very big advantage in India was already an existing um, infrastructure for technology, right? And and that really worked in favor of India uh, in terms of you know virtual care and and obviously for for people who could afford it, for people you know who could um, use it. Um, technology played a huge role, right? Which which was a little bit lacking in North American countries because of privacy. And I, I know Karaf can speak a lot about it in, in terms of like policies and privacy policies that were in place where it took time to adopt uh, technology in terms of using it for virtual care. But what also, you know, now talking about the positives, it ushered this new era of, virtual care, telehealth, um, remote patient monitoring. These were in already there, but now there was a need to accelerate these technologies so that it could be used to deliver care for patients. Um, and so that healthcare professionals can connect effectively, efficiently with their patients and get them treated. So that's, I think, where the change happened is that technology adoption in healthcare became faster and faster. Um, in terms of vaccination, obviously that was again, very unprecedented. Um, you know, we have seen like something like a, a vaccine for HIV took around 50, 60 years to be made. Um, COVID-19 vaccine was made in less than two years, which is a record time. It's very unprecedented. And the reason it could be done be was because people were, were already working towards it. There was knowledge that was passed on to us from the SARS vaccination um, or for the, from the SARS virus. So we knew also mRNA technology has already been uh, working and, and they have been trying and this just accelerated things. But also again, what happened is for a clinical trial of COVID-19 to happen, they stopped globally, like the FDA literally stopped every other clinical trial that was going across uh, the country, right? So which, which would never happen again, right? Because uh, there are oncology drugs, there's you know Alzheimer's drugs that were put on hold just because we could finish the COVID-19 uh, vaccination uh, clinical trials faster. Uh, and that's never going to happen again, right? Because those drugs are as important as a COVID-19 vaccine. Obviously this was an emergency, so that's why it had to be done faster. But again, we could show that if you know, all the resources come together, we can get things out really fast, right? And, and, uh, and the vaccines are working. So that's, that's the best part, right? So um, obviously, you know, there, there's, some you know variants which affect which don't work which work less effectively or the vaccines work less less effectively towards some um, uh, vaccines or uh, but uh, or some variants but um, it's it's going to be it's it's still okay right now right and and we are getting back to some form of normalcy at least from the North American perspective. Gaurav, I would like to bring in here here. I remember when we spoke last time, you talked about uh, how there is a huge amount of shortage in terms of the manpower. Uh, how do you see this and what are the opportunities which you see, uh, which uh, from the Indian students point of view can be opportunity for people to look at and target? Sure. Uh, first of all, yeah, thank you everyone for joining in and uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Mishra for inviting me. Uh, I will also uh, borrow the <laughs> disclaimer from Vibhasan. I am 
I, I am a bit more knowledgeable for certain fields, but since I have worked in healthcare, uh, my career has been, uh, I've been lucky to work in different aspects of uh, healthcare. Uh, so hospitals, startups, uh, pharmacy companies, now consulting, also government agencies in UK and have also worked with state government of Haryana. Uh, so I have that, uh, you know, jack of all uh, perspective on healthcare. So which I think will, should like people should find uh, helpful and at least intrigue interest uh, in, in those uh, aspects. So talking about shortage in healthcare in terms of human resources. So uh, just for everyone who hasn't uh, seen the previous webinar, what Dr. Mishra was saying is, uh, I, I quoted last time that then just, just one statistic uh, to put things into perspective is in the next uh, year or so uh, in Canada, about like more than 10%, uh, I think the statistics around 13, 14%, uh, but at least more than 10% of the nursing staff, which is the key when we think about patient facing roles in healthcare are going to get retired. And, uh, but the current education system that the graduates that we are producing in Canada is nowhere near uh, to, to bridge that number. So that's why Canada has been traditionally very high on inviting uh, economic immigrants to the country who bring in uh, you know, not only the diversity which Canada wants to be known for, but also the skill set to support the economy. And also the the graph that you showed, I think, is, is a very uh, clear uh, indication, you know, Canada is amongst the highest uh, in, in terms of median age across the world. So it's not only the staff that is uh, going near the retirement age, it's also the people who are, who are going to that age. And so lesser people available to work basically, but more people available to be cared for. So it's, it's a very difficult problem to have. And and, and as I said, I mean, Canadian government, you can see in the immigration numbers and the targets is always increasing drastically um, and, and it will continue to increase. Uh, so talking about major uh, things that are in shortage when we talk about human resources. So there are uh, there's definite shortage of patient facing roles. And so patient facing roles can be in many forms. Uh, so I'll start with a patient journey. I think that uh, makes it easier for people to understand as well from an Indian context or globally as well. So whenever anyone needs a healthcare professional for consultation, they go to a physician or they go to a pharmacist in India. Traditionally, uh, in Canada, the system has been you, uh, you get assigned to a family physician. Uh, each family physician has a capacity of you know handling let's say X amount of uh, families, let's say one uh, for, for the discussion sake, one family physician can tackle uh, hundred families. Uh, but there is such a shortage of uh, family uh, healthcare physicians that, you know, as a new immigrant, I have seen it myself. And for people who have landed in Canada, uh, it can take up to like sometimes six months or sometimes even up to a year uh, to get even a family physician. If you're especially living in a big metropolis like GTA or Vancouver area or Calgary, Edmonton, uh, there is there's simply no availability to get a family physician. So the problem starts right there. So when you don't have a family physician, you don't really know what are the regular screening or in India, we, we are a big fan of doing annual physical checks 
mm-hmm. or sometimes even quarterly physical checks so there is no one to guide you uh, to that unlike in india uh, where you can basically order yourself uh, annual physical uh, or you know uh, as as frequently as you want uh, your checks health checks in canada you cannot do that you need a doctor to to prescribe you that and only then you can go to a lab and do that so the problem starts right there and it's not just the physician the physician is also teamed with a lot of people so there is uh, health office management professionals so there is a lot of courses if you look at uh, uh, any major career colleges in canada uh, i'll just name a few so maybe conestoga uh, george brown uh, you know these 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 are bigger colleges in ontario so you'll see a lot of courses opening up for health office administration or health office management uh, in in this profession it is it is a huge shortage of people like there is a huge shortage of people in this so so that's another area to target for if you are uh, aspiring professional uh, moving on to uh, so after you've seen a physician or okay so i i i should also point out to the pharmacy so in so i've seen a lot of people uh, that have a pharmacy background in india uh, they 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 start here as a pharmacy assistant this by no means uh, is a lesser career uh, i would highly recommend is for someone who is in a pharmacy background uh, you should uh, try out that uh, if you're not sure whether you know uh, uh, pharmacy uh, operations in india versus here is is different uh, just check out these courses of pharmacy assistant they basically help the pharmacy pharmacist to run the pharmacies so that's another uh, uh, thing and as bibasan was saying about uh, you know covid-19 exposing really this shortage so what is happening to see from a policy standpoint i can mention uh, traditionally in india uh, whether if you have you know certain uh, conditions uh, you can just go to a pharmacist or chemist as they call it in india and you can you know mention your diagnosis symptoms they will be able to prescribe you and and you basically don't even need to see a doctor which is a great help uh, to reduce the burden on the healthcare system because rather uh, uh, if something can be resolved uh, without going to a physician with same level of quality it's preferable canada and other north american countries are realizing that so they are also increasing the scope of pharmacist in and in canada is a provincial based system so uh, these things happen province wise so some provinces i can mention alberta for example has uh, has been a leader in this uh, increasing the scope of pharmacies and very recently in ontario now uh, there has been uh, a change and that pharmacist can actually prescribe uh, physician anti uh, medications so these changes are happening and uh, for someone who is looking to make a career out of this needs to follow this and and, and basically uh, bridge that gap moving to the business end of healthcare which is hospitals or uh, long term care homes there uh, as i already mentioned nursing is one profession that that has continue to be uh, facing shortages even before covid covid has only accelerated that uh nursing is is a regulated profession uh, in in most of the countries uh, and as it is it in india as well but for a, for someone who is let's say already a qualified nurse in india or is willing to start a career in nursing again what i like about uh, canada and 
other North American countries is you have that liberty to try out different things without being fully invested in something. So for example, if you want to try out nursing, uh, you, you don't have to, you know, enroll in a, you know, expensive degree program. You can try out a diploma certificate course for six months. Um, there are lots of courses, social work, personal support workers. Uh, and then if you like it, you just get a degree and they get a license to start operating it. So in hospital, personal support worker is, is a very good profession. It is similar to a social worker in India. So they basically bridge the gap of nursing and uh, yeah, and in, in nursing. And then in nurses, there are predominantly, there are two different types of professions uh, or, or lines. So there is a RPN, which is a rest professional nurse, and there is a registered nurse. So RN is, you can think of, uh, they have more scope in terms of uh, what they can or cannot do. Uh, RPN is a faster pro uh, process to be a nurse, but with somewhat a limited scope. So really lots of options there. I'll, I'll encourage you to look look for it. Uh, and then when we talk about patient facing roles, it's not nursing or things like, which I mentioned physician come to the mind on the top, but there is so like really a battery of people, if I can call it for the lack of better word, uh, supporting uh, uh, nurses and physicians in a hospital environment. So there is clinical administration, which also uh, is, a, is a patient facing role. So things like operations manager, uh, receptionist, uh, patient navigators. So because hospital sometimes can be larger, it can be complex uh, systems to navigate. Uh, so patient navigators face a like a really play a really important role. Uh, Bebasan also touched upon privacy and uh, confidentiality. It is very big and somewhat a deterrent, but I, I believe it is like there's a balance required, but it is an important part to ensure that your information uh, is, is safe. Uh, so there is an opportunity there as well. So privacy officers are almost always there in the hospital. There's a team behind ensuring the confidentiality of data is maintained. So if you are uh, somewhat of an inquisitive nature, uh, you know, very detailed oriented, that you can, you can uh, opt for as a career as well. And, and and we have seen shortages of that as well with policy changing almost now every month, really. Um, so so that's another field. Then there is environmental services. So making sure the hospital is, is uh, you know, a safe place to operate. Something like fact, ESG? ESG, yeah. ESG mm -hmm. uh, would be a more sophisticated version. So what I mean by environmental services in hospital is mean, so patient transfers. So porters are there. Uh, uh, and uh, you need to make sure, you know, all the rooms are set up nicely, uh, you know, with, with all the codes required for, for each patient. Uh, yeah, and, and moving PPEs from one place to another from, you know, uh, sterilization department to, let's say, operation theater. So these things are done by uh, environmental services in hospital, but ESG is, is another uh, different uh, uh, you know, field altogether, very uh, important these days uh, in, in, in any industry, really. So, uh, yeah, so, so I was going there. And then uh, security is another field, uh, not just uh, data security, but also physical security in hospitals. So if someone is looking for that kind of a career, uh, 
finally, I wanted to mention uh, mental health. So when we think of patient facing or even general health, as Vivasan mentioned, we we have come a long way in terms of thinking mental health as health, but there is still a lot to go, uh, even, even in developed economies as well. So uh, med- mental health professions are also patient-facing roles and critical roles. Bec- and it's, COVID has just only exposed it. It has been, this has been a falling, uh, you know, pillar, uh, if I may call it, from quite some time. So, and then now all of a sudden when, when this need has been, you know, recognized, there is a huge shortage and recognized uh, that there is recognition that there is a shortage. Uh, both things are happening. Uh, so mental health professionals, so counselors, uh, certified psychotherapist, uh, psychologist. Uh, uh, so, so there are so many uh, things, psychometrist as well. Uh, so a lot of uh, scope in, in this uh, area as well. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention uh, these things. I, I can go on, but I feel just being cognizant of everyone's time. <laughs> just I know. Being yeah, yeah, I understand. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so I think uh, you mentioned about a uh, uh, couple of things which, which I recall. Is that, uh, I mean, just for the knowledge of everybody that uh, by 2030, I think about, 15, sorry, 5 million people in Canada is going to retire, right? And uh, Probably, yeah. of course, they, they, they would be, of course, across the all the work life, but then obviously there'll be a lot of opportunity. And also there's a stated policy of the Canadian government that uh, from 2022 to 2024, there'll be about 1.4 million people coming in as immigrants. So uh, I think uh, Canada does need a lot of people uh, with respect to not just healthcare, but obviously healthcare would be one of the biggest area of uh, opportunity for young people in India studying in different uh, subjects, not just healthcare, but any subject I think has a good opportunity. Yep. Now, uh, coming back to Bivasan, uh, Bivasan, you are involved in a lot of technology uh, introduction into the healthcare system uh, in the Canadian healthcare system. So, uh, could you just explain a little more about your role in that and what are the different uh, 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 new technology trends which you're seeing? Okay, uh, so talking about, first of all, yeah, in my capacity, what we um, do is basically uh, look into the whole healthcare ecosystem, right? So there's a number of startups that are coming up in each and every sector uh, these days, right? So um, people are... Uh, trying to realize that entrepreneurship is a you know viable uh, career option as well, but um, also that there's new ideas that needs to be brought into the into every field and not just um, healthcare. But I've been part of accelerators and incubators, and I've seen um, you know these advances or technological advances happening in other fields as well. But especially in healthcare, what we do is basically evaluate technologies that are coming out. Um, sort of mentor them, coach them in, into getting them ready for the adoption in into healthcare, and then help finally when the product is ready, commercially ready, uh, we help them get into the Canadian health system. So obviously through that role, I, I interact with a lot of startups all the time. Um, it's incredible to see the amount of technology and the amount of advances that are happening in healthcare, or especially in healthcare startups. So um, that's definitely one focus area is to 
see how you know these technological advances are happening and how um, healthcare the reception of hospitals and other healthcare organizations to try newer things is getting better and better as well and obviously as Gaurav mentioned there's a you know shortage of staff at this time so uh, even if a lot of hospitals want to try new technologies they can't just because they don't have the manpower to do that um, and obviously once things start getting better from or we start recovering from the effects of um, COVID-19 um, we will slowly see more and more innovation happening in the um, healthcare industry, um, especially in terms of adoption into, into uh, the healthcare system, especially in Canada. In the U.S., it's, it's a lot better. Um, you know, the, the healthcare industry is much more mature um, in there, and, and a lot of the startups have already made big in the U.S., right? So they, we, we hear about a lot of uh, startups that that are uh, that are already in the market. They're selling their products and and they've raised like you know uh, Series B, which is like hundreds of or Series B, C, D, which is like hundreds of millions of dollars already, um, or gone pu uh, public as well, right? So they're now coming back to the trends. I think there's six or seven key trends that are happening, and I think both me and Gaurav can chip in in in, in any of these, but I think the first trend that's happening, and I think you men mentioned a list there um, uh, during your presentation as well, SP, but there's, first of all, there's AI and ML, which is going to be there. Um, it's not new. Uh, I won't say that this is trending. It has been probably trending for the last 10 years or so. It's not just the trend, but it's also where it's going, right? So. Till now, I, I think that's, again, it's my personal opinion, but till now, what we were doing in AI and ML was figuring out how to do it. Now, it's actually we are executing what have been learned in the last decade and have been operationalizing it, right? So that's that's changing. So we can talk about a little bit about AI and ML. Um, remote patient monitoring and telehealth is on the rise. Um, and, and obviously, again, I probably mentioned it earlier, COVID actually accelerated the uh, adoption of these technologies. Um, the third is IoT and wearables. And, you know, we, we all have smartwatches now, but the way now wearables and smartwatches are being used for um, health monitoring, that's, that's changing. And it ties very well into um, the, you know, remote monitoring aspect as well. Um, then there's, AR and VR. And I think that's where the trend is happening. This is something that is flashy and trendy at this time, uh, is using augmented reality and virtual reality in healthcare. Um, and there's a few different areas where it's being used right now, but this will continue to grow. Uh, the next is bioprinting or organ printing, uh, which is slowly starting to happen. There's few clinical, and then we can talk about that, what it is and how it's being used, but also 3D printing uh, in medical devices as well, right? So um, we are working currently with a company who are, you know, 3D printing uh, small equipment in hospitals as well. And, and, and so that they can be replaced a lot quicker because, you know, obviously printing can be done pretty fast. Um, and all of these go into two new th two things, which I won't say trending, but are coming out more now and are what's going to be the future. The first is, 
I think we have already touched upon it is data security and privacy. That's going to trend for the next decade because data is the most valuable asset right now in healthcare, right? And, and since we have stored now tons and tons of data, data security is becoming increasingly important. Um, and the next is uh, personalized medicine, medicine or precision medicine, right? And all these AI, ML, remote monitoring, they all lead to personalized medicine and precision medicine, right? So these areas, and, and again, these also, so these are, I feel that these are the trends right now. Obviously, uh, when we talk about drug development, vaccine development, these have been ongoing for the last like five, six decades or even longer, right? So um, these things are always going to be there. They are like the bread and butter of healthcare, right? Like without drugs, these have always been there. These will always be there, right? And and also like, you know, I, I think one thing we did not mention is especially from the academic perspective um, is that academia is going to be there as well forever, right? Yeah. So research, yes. basic research is going to be there, like how much, you know, innovation is always going to happen uh, because, you know, we, we need to come up with new ideas. The, you know, ecosystem is being, you know, or, or getting it to a place where innovation can happen much frequently, right? But research has been happening um, throughout the world. There's so much exciting research happening. Um, what we might see more and more is that translation of that research into the industry, right? Which is which was lacking, right? Because research used to happen a lot in silos, um, which is gone now, um, or I would say almost gone now. Um, it's happening much more in a collaborative way at this time. Like there's, you are seeing collaborations between India, Canada, China, Russia, etc. Right. So. Um, U.S., um, you know, all top countries, like all European countries, Germany and, you know, uh, uh, France and England, are, all of these countries are, are uh, there's research collaborations going um, all around, right? So that's, that's happening. Um, so the silos are going away. Research is happening more collaboratively, but also there's a much more emphasis on how this research is translated. So that's another career pathway for young students to think about is how can we help in the translation? So there's a field of technology transfer, very few professionals worldwide work in that field, right? But this is going to be uh, a very important role going uh, forward is like, you know, how can you translate, right, uh, the technology? Uh, we don't talk about a lot, but business development, business related skills are very important in the healthcare industry too, right? So, um, you know, you can work for startups and, and there's a lot of startups these days. Um, they probably won't pay you as much as any other jobs, but you can get equity shares out of the company as well, uh, depending upon the kind of roles you are doing. Um, it's a very good place to start learning because they are always trying something new, young and creative teams. Uh, so that's something I think students should think about more is not going after the big banners first, but going to a startup, learning what it takes to bring a product into the market, right? And, and that's where I think that the change in the 
thought process is happening as well, right? You know, we are doing research, we are coming up with innovation and now what next, right? How can we productize it, right? How can we put it in hands of more and more patients? Because it's not only important to sell a product, but how to make it available for patients. And if you don't translate that information from research to, uh, you know, the to, to the industry, then the innovation is lost, right? All the textures money that is going into figuring out why it's happening, if it's not helping the patients at the end of the day, if it's not helping human beings at the end of the day, then that research is getting lost, right? So that translation is very important so that, you know, and, and these kind of uh, career options, career opportunities are going to have to, you know, come more and more just because even granting agencies these days, right? So the NIH is the National Institute of Health in US, uh, the CIHR is the Canadian Institute of Health uh, Research. Um, there's the National um, you know, Science uh, Education and Research Council. Uh, all these granting agencies in Canada and US are now asking for um, translation, right? So you know, how would you, so there's now it's dedicated sections in the grants where you have to write how would you translate your research and how would it benefit the end user or, or you know, human beings at the end, right? So basic research is still going to happen. It's not that basic research is going to stop, but there's a, a you know, current trend of using that research for something beneficial that can be brought forward in the, in the world, right? So roles related to that are going to increase more and more, right? So people who have an understanding of both the industry and the academia, they are, they are going to you know, benefit from that. Um, there's roles, as, as I said, startup roles are going to increase more and more, right? So uh, these will be, in terms of careers, these would also trend over the next uh, decade or so. Now, and and we can the, go, yeah. yeah, we can go, um, you know, and, and talk about a few of these technologies, but, um, you know, I'll leave it up yeah. to you and Gaurav. Yeah, I think uh, before yeah. we get into the specific uh, part of the technology I just wanted to understand from you there are two conflicting areas here one is the data security on one hand on the other hand uh, the technology of wearables and, and, and IOT those are going to increase because uh, you need that technology uh, intervention for, for effective uh, health management going forward so how do you see that uh, panning out in coming years Gaurav, you want to take it first or should I go? No, I think it makes flow. So you, you can okay. just start. Okay. I'll chip in. Okay, so personally, at least in, and then I'm just talking about US and Canada perspective. So there's personal in health information or FI is regarded as precious as it can be, right? So um, just as an example, just, just to, uh, just as an example, if you're working directly with healthcare data, you need, uh, government clearance and you know police clearance and everything to be done uh, before you actually touch healthcare data or patient related data where you'll be seeing the real like raw patient data right so all the healthcare professionals are certified definitely but that's that needs to be done now there's HIPAA and uh, PHIPAA right so um, you know HIPAA is the health information Protection Act, basically, um, and and um, the HIPAA is so basically the difference is that HIPAA regulates disclosure um, um, of protected health information by certain 
entities like the government, like the hospitals, etc. cetera. Uh, while PHIPA outlines the laws that govern, um, you know, the health information custodians, right? So how is data stored? So, uh, and managed. So these are, though there have been a little bit of change in, in these policies, these laws over COVID, but still these have been, these have to be implemented for collecting data. Um, any patient related data have to be cleared by um, HIPAA and PIPA, right? So that's something that is definitely going to happen is the, you know, and, and we can take the Samsung case for an example, right? So um, they've put in EEG and blood pressure monitoring into uh, their smartwatch, right? Yeah. Uh, they had to release the watch without these functionalities, right? So they were going through the FDA and Health Canada for approval. They got FDA first, so they were launched in, uh, so these are regulated. So that's my point is these are regulated, uh, very well regulated to see that the data that you are collecting are safe and are only meant to do what they're claiming, which is, you know, monitor your blood pressure, data is not stored there. What's happening more and more is there are tools being made on the top of these sensors, right? So the Samsungs and the Apples and the Fitbits, they come up with the sensors, right? So um, now there's third-party healthcare startups who are coming up, who are creating tools to extract data from there and to send it to the physicians, right? The first of all is the first thing in HIPAA or PIPA is consent, right? So the first thing is whether the patient gives you the consent to collect this data. If I say yes, it goes ahead. If I say no, it cannot go ahead, right? And it's a very big legal suit waiting to happen if I don't consent to get take my data um, and, and you do it. So whenever you are using variables, and then this is for general public all the time, this has been mentioned a number of times as well, is if you want to be, you know, if you don't want to give consent to these things, don't give consent. And if you have any understanding or if you realize in any way that your health data is being compromised, report it as soon as possible so that this can be investigated. And it's like a huge lawsuit making that happen. So that's 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 something that, that usually is taken care of. So I think companies like, you know, and then, you know, again, uh, Gaurav would probably be the best person to talk about it. But what I've learned is companies like PwC, EY, they're spending, you know, more, or even, you know, Deloitte I've um, seen, they're spending more and more infrastructure um, and, and resources on data security, like especially in the healthcare data security field um, to prevent cybercrime. So, in Canada, in the last couple of years, whatever cyber threat has happened, has happened on healthcare data. Even during the Russia-Ukraine situation, um, the hackers are just targeting healthcare data right now, right? There's two things. One is the usually the hospital systems that they're stored in is archaic. Uh, so um, it, it's um, sometimes there's a vulnerability, a vulnerability there, but um, 
they, they are getting new software updates and new new system updates, infrastructure updates as well. Uh, but also that's the most precious data at this time, right? So if you control health, you control like you know the country's basically the the heart of the country right so so that's something that is definitely happening but um this will continue to move forward Gaurav. yeah no Gaurav, before of, you uh... come in i wanted to add one more question so uh, yeah. do you see that insurance companies will make it a mandatory that okay if you want to take a life insurance coverage from me uh, you have to take this variable along with you very uh, relevant question. I just covered, uh, closed my life insurance. I won't name the name of the company. <laughs> just the last, probably two weeks ago. Uh, so it is a trend. I'll start with this and then go back to what I was going to say anyways. So yes, insurance companies uh, do want to track the data, but since Canada uh, is, as Bibasan mentioned, is probably a lot more stringent and difficult in terms of uh, getting approvals on 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 specially sensitive uh, data. Uh, the progress has been slower, but it is going in that direction. So now the current state is, if you go for any uh, life insurance, uh, they will say highly recommended that you go through the medical to qualify for the best rates. If not, we will not deny you the life insurance, but you'll get you know Y rate, which is like some higher than than your best rate. So this is the you can call it clickbait or probably just uh, you know insuring themselves, insurance companies insuring themselves to make sure that uh, they're doing business with a sense. So so it is there. It's not uh, completely like you know you have to go through this to get there, but it is going in that direction where. Uh, maybe it's not the law, but users will have very little choice in terms of, uh, you know, uh, skipping this step. So, so that's for the life insurance. For I actually took the uh, uh, took the medical examination to to get to the best rates. But uh, yeah, it, it is going there, and, and it is not just life insurance. It is also going in auto insurance, which is a big industry here. So, in auto insurance, they don't do health check, but they want to monitor your driving. So, okay. more more or less the same thing. So life insurance, they are monitoring your lifestyle, uh, and in in auto, they are mon- monitoring your driving style to to come give you the best rates. Now going to Vipassan, uh, he actually covered a lot of very critical points. One of the things I examples I want to mention just to again put things into perspective. There is so much digitalization. Uh, digitization of uh, things in in a, not just in healthcare everywhere really and and it's very uh, much seen in India just because of the adoption of uh, uh, digitization and and also the governance model it has been very effective so the penetration has also been great in terms of you know adoption of digital technologies uh, so a, a, a very specific example is uh, pharmacy prescriptions so even now. Uh, not even 10% of pharmacy prescriptions in Canada are electronic. They're fax-based. So just just uh, try to digest that for a second. Uh, whereas in, in, I would say, most of the states in the United States, uh, there is no other option other than electronic. So it is very exception-based that you are not using electronic. You have to really be very specific why you did not choose electronic prescription. So so that is the difference. Uh, so and, and there is only one uh, major company that is driving 
the e-prescription uh, landscape in Canada. So, and that too is a public-private partnership kind of a entity. So, again, huge, huge scope uh, there uh, for any career aspirant, but also just just putting things into perspective of uh, you know how much development needs to happen, and and with the variables and uh, IOTs and uh, and and so many apps, uh, uh, you know, healthcare data. The thing about healthcare data is it is everywhere. So uh, probably the most spread out data, if you compare it to any other industry, uh, I would say even further uh, expansive than your financial data. Uh, but yeah, healthcare would would I would say anyway stop that, uh, and, and and it is only going to increase. So such is the spillover of data that. Uh, there is a huge chance for hackers uh, to to get good access to your data and use it to their advantage. Uh, so there is again uh, where there is a you know the scarcity or where there is a, a situation or a problem, there is a solution to it. So it, yeah, there is a lot of scope to be a part of that solution uh, in terms of technical uh, skills. Uh, the other thing is uh, because of uh, you know that spillover is uh, is happening. Uh, and 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 Bivasan also mentioned about archaic uh, healthcare information systems. So again, again, a good quick example of putting things into perspective. Uh, in Canada, majority of the health information systems. So health information systems are basically systems used by healthcare entities to manage patient data. Uh, so health information systems in Canada, the large part of market share is basically held by two companies only. So again, in, in US, there is tons and tons of companies. In India, there's far much more. Uh, but if, if someone is you know, looking as an entrepreneur uh, to, to crack a market in healthcare, that is again, another uh, important avenue. You don't need to have a full-fledged healthcare information system, but you can bridge some of the problems that even mature healthcare information system does not have. So you know, thing, uh, things that come to mind even like some of the mature uh, systems uh, are very restrictive in Canada, at least for video calling patients. So, so that's that's another because I've seen uh, hospitals that have purchased a mature product, but then for the video calling of the patient, they are relying on a different technology or a different company. So, so there's a lot of integrations possible again for an entrepreneur. Uh, this is this is a, an important field. Uh, and and also finally, Bibasan touched upon uh, uh, the. I think you were mentioning about a company that had a FDA approval. Oh, Samsung, I think the Samsung had a FDA approval, uh, but couldn't get Health Canada approval in time, so they had to release products without uh, certain uh, functionalities. Uh, but but that is also an opportunity. Uh, what Health Canada, uh, what I have seen is 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 the same even if you're manufacturing a drug uh, or uh, you know if it's a variable if it's a it system same thing it's generally uh, is, is a bit uh, low on speed so if someone is in india uh, and and they are already have a knack of entrepreneurship and they 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 know what they want to do so i would say sample size in india is far larger than you would get in any developed country so it is not a bad option and and i'll let Bibasan to talk about the logistics of it uh, to actually try out a product in India, uh, have a sample size, uh, you know, large enough there 
get the results ready and then apply for you know there are specific immigration streams for startups uh, so canada is recognizing that so apply through that and, and get your process ready so by the time maybe your uh, visa is processed you you may have you know gotten lucky and get health canada approval and yeah so so that's uh, that's all i wanted to add yeah that's a fantastic way i think bevasan you can add to that because you are in the profession where you are actually uh, you are the interface between the startups and the uh, and the industry itself yeah sure um i yeah it's very interesting point gorav actually um that's the best case situation um the only problem that's happening at this time and um, i'm seeing it more and more from companies from india who are applying to health canada and fda is the burden of data right so that's something that i feel needs to be better um in india at this time is how to get the data properly without any biases right so designing clinical trials as per the fda and health canada guidelines um so you know i would say if you are going that pathway or for young entrepreneurs who are who are trying to start their new companies or thinking about new products and how to bring it on the market india is the best place to start a company just because there's i what i understand is there's lot of resources available in india right now uh, to uh help young small businesses at this time but also what happens is you already have like a huge population and then can use it to your advantage right so um as karav said do your trials there right you need to if you want to see a product market fit then india is the best place to try out the product right and and we have seen they're seeing like you know i i was just um i think i told this to you sp in my last conversation as well i watched like the uh, shark tank india and i was amazed by the amount of innovation that's happening in india right so um i'm pretty sure in the healthcare it's is the same i've met with companies in the past who are who are us based companies they have three people in us and probably 50 people in india and and they're trying their product it's, it's a diabetes um you know monitoring technology they're you know, they're trialing it in india right the only thing as i said that you have to make sure of for anyone who is uh, in trying to see the pro- or test the product is to collect the data in a proper way so that it can be used uh, for fda applications later on um and again you would know about the story behind like the covaxin or the bharat biotech product that fda didn't approve or took a long time approving right so just because that the burden of data was too much and it wasn't the trials weren't done in specific ways it was done properly it's not i'm not saying that it wasn't done in a in a, in you know poorly or it's it's a vaccine that didn't work it's just that it did not meet fda criteria so what should you do is first time when you're raising you have some idea and you are raising your first seed round of investments from any investors in india have it does not cost much to hire in terms of you know running the company you should dedicate or put have consultants there who can help you with fda and health canada right so once you have got a regulatory consultant who is going to review your clinical trial show you what needs to be collected what data needs to be collected use you know have that 
um, extra bit of money in there uh, so that you can spend it right at from your seed stage and and show that it's what you know uh, show fda and health canada the, that the product is working right and 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 then collect it in a specific way that they, they recommend so that's something very very important because even what happens is two-arm studies are even not applicable for if you're going for a therapeutics um, or, or a you know even a digital therapeutics um, you need a three-arm study right so you need need uh, the data arm you know the standard of care the standard of care plus the intervention that you have done and then you need a sham control which a lot of people don't they just compare it with the standard of care right so you know vaccine versus no vaccine right uh, that's what they compared but you need a sham you need to show that there's a fake vaccine there that have been administered and it does not without the vaccine effect it's just like line or something and people are not getting better that that's something that you need to show as well and even in terms of digital health products digital wellness products um, and then there's wellness right so there's therapeutics and then there's wellness so a lot of remote patient monitoring is coming right now that's happening wearables are happening in the health um health and wellness space so how you track yourself how you are feeling about yourself right but the transition is going from wellness to therapeutics how can you get yourself better how can the physicians use this data to get yourself better right so that's that's some that's a switch in the mentality that's happening as well okay and uh, your organization is specifically into that i mean uh, the, the the process of uh, uh, advising the indian entrepreneurs or startups Uh, to to follow this template uh, for uh, for 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 the canada health uh, approval that is something your organization can handle no I, unfortunately no so we are very focused on canadian healthcare and canadian healthcare startups right so uh, but there are organizations you know who can help indian uh, startups to grow in in canada okay. so you know there's if anyone needs more information i'll be happy to share um, but there's consultants right and and even you know i can connect you with certain consultants across us and canada if you're from india and if you're starting a company need any advice i can definitely connect you with other consultants in us and canada who are uh, working regularly with the startups with with startups as well but unfortunately no our organization is very much focused in canadian healthcare and canadian startup uh, startups and and the canadian healthcare industry um unless like there's an indian company uh, which has happened in the past actually we are working with an indian company but they have uh, set up their headquarters in canada so they they had like the one of the founders is in india and one of the founders is in canada so if we can find that way best case situation right then we can help that company definitely because uh, they are headquartered out of canada but they have offices in india as well um, so they can do like you know the, the clinical trials here or there and and get their products commercialized here right but even in terms okay. of product market fit like the market in india is huge right it's it's, it's um, much Absolutely. larger than canada uh, and and probably closing in on the us in the next few years but us market is is a little bit down obviously right at this time it's a very bearish market at this time um and you know obviously we are seeing a lot of impact of uh, covid-19 on european and uh, north american uh, economies uh but yeah 
India and China is it's um it's going to be China is like I think the number one economy now. Um and and yeah. India is slowly getting there. But in terms of healthcare product markets, I think India is a bigger market anyways. Um people even coming up in companies in Canada who are coming up with products, they are uh, you know healthcare specific products. They are looking Asia Pacific is the market for them right now. Europe and Asia Pacific is the market for them right now, um, and they are a lot of companies want to grow in US, in in India and China and Singapore and you know all other Asian countries. So yeah, that's happening. You know, South Korea is is a big market. Japan is a big market. you mentioned about bioprinting uh, so can you a little explain about what is the concept yeah so uh, tissues right so uh, the first thing that's happening is um, you know so we bioprinting is basically printing specific tissues organs uh, that can be replaced right so organs are a little bit further down the lane right so what have been what we have been doing in um suppose transplantation is we are using donor hearts donor organs um to to um transplant it when there's a critical emergency right um what there are new technologies out there at this time which are printing these tissues exactly the way it would be in a regular you know normal uh human being and and they're using that to create um organs and create tissues that can be replaced right so the ones that are in clinical trials right now are skin tissues crafts so uh, i think there was a news a couple of days back that um, it has been successful but it's, it's still in the clinical trials phase uh, the data have been uh, submitted to fda uh, so they'll have a look at it but this is becoming more and more frequent there's a number of companies uh, that are uh that are using bioprinting now and then clinically trying their products because that is going to be a huge industry right um if you take away transplantation because there's problem with transplantation as well right because the genetic makeup of human beings is so much different from one, one from you know one from the other that matching that you know, there's always a chance of rejecting transplanted organs and um you know transplant is a huge issue anyways right even in canada there's uh i think a lot of people actually donate their you know it in alberta at least i've seen uh, and in ontario as well like in majority of the province i think you can sign in back of your like health cards or you can on, go online and then say that you you want to we are willing to donate your body and that has happened you know that that has definitely helped but it's not only about the donation it's about the accepting that donation from the perspective of the recipient body as well and in this like you know blood groups that needs to be matched there's even like you know blood marrow that that needs to be matched so there's there's a lot of complication in transplantation and this is definitely going to solve it right because then there's you are creating that tissue printing that tissue basically based out of your on genetic makeup right so that's something that is that is going to be the future right in in terms of transplantation but bioprinting is being used in very different you know different kinds of ways as well in terms of you know it's being right now used in research it's uh, you know 3d printing devices are being used for creating medical devices as well right so uh, i'm closely working with a company who's like just creating like small equipment or even you know some equipment some things that are missing out of there so 
you know, an MRI machine or, or, or ultrasound or sound machine, like if it's missing a particular component, if it's broken, it takes weeks for it to fix it, right? But they're just 3D printing it for the short term, you know, cheaper cost. Uh, they're keeping them, you know, machine running, so they're not losing any money there. And, and they're, you know, that, that and then they're solving a critical problem, right? Which is uh, delay in the delivery of healthcare. So that's, uh, something that yeah. that is definitely yeah happening. i think yeah gaurav i was actually thinking about that question so the cultured meat has a direct connection with this so Sorry. no i was saying uh, so on a so i actually abibasan i don't know if you saw the comment uh, in the chat yeah, yeah, yeah. Said, on a lighter note people could research lab meat so it's not oh. exactly the same thing but but you get the idea of how tissues can be used uh, mm-hmm. to create organs or you know mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, that that actually i would say is more uh, exposed in the media <laughs> and mm-hmm. more uh, you would you wouldn't yeah, have I think, to uh, dig the, in the cultured meat is in talks uh, for a long time now because i think it is also with respect to the environmental effect of you know uh, the meat eating i think that's yeah. that's where the it is coming yeah, um, yeah. so probably they are seeing that okay, if there is a cultured meat, there is a possibility of reducing the impact of uh, the carbon emission and things like that. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's to tackle more of the carbon emission and you know greenhouse gas emissions, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. So that's that's yeah. the future actually. That's that's the trend, right? And we're talking about trends here. Yeah. Right. you would like to add anything uh, further on this? No, I think um, it's Bibasan's area of expertise, but a uh, uh, few things I was thinking, but he, he did did cover it. And uh, okay. so I just wanted to end on lab meat. <laughs> so just for, for anyone who is not aware. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And when we talk about one, yeah. one, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. one thing I wanted to mention is we talked about mental health, human health, and with lab meat, actually animal health is also health. So, mm-hmm. It is a whole new discussion, not my idea. My concept is not to digress from the discussion topic for today, but I think it is as relevant as human health. Uh, oh. and, and, and sometimes uh, in some situations, actually, from a research standpoint, it is actually a very, very important uh, aspect to understand animal health, to understand animal genomics, to understand how certain you know, chemicals or certain medications would, re- would you know, uh, react uh, with, with, with the animals to understand if it can be you know, progressed to human stages. So, so again, very uh, important field and, and very developed actually in Canada. The, the good thing about animal health in Canada and, and also in most Western countries where there is public health care otherwise, uh, animal health is still pretty largely uh, private. And with private, you get a little bit more exposure or, uh, sorry, a little bit more flexibility in terms of mm-hmm. what you can or cannot do, uh, obviously within the ethical framework, but you can, for example, set up your own animal hospital if you are, you know, uh, uh, have license to do it, but uh, you cannot set up a human hospital if you are a doctor. So that's just a very mm-hmm. ground level difference. That's a very, yeah. yeah, that's a different perspective, but I think I know a lot of uh, Young people from India are actually looking at veterinary science as one of their yeah. uh, career that's, op- that's, opportunity. Absolutely. Like, uh, you know, I, I didn't bring it up just because, you know, I, I thought like you're 
focusing more on like human healthcare, but animal health is huge in Canada, right? So um, at least there's three to four provinces in Canada, like states in Canada that that are um, very big on agriculture and, you know, vet studies. So, um, you know, because the cattle industry is huge here, um, in both in terms of beef and in terms of milk, um, both, right? That's that's a very big industry. Um, but also veterinary sciences just in normal, regularly, that's, that's an, as, I, as it's a privatized industry again. So there's a lot of opportunities here to work with animals. Um, uh, and, and, you know, both in terms of research and in terms of like, you know, having a career, that's, that's a very viable option. Uh, uh, we could cover most of the points we thought of uh, you know, discussing and, and I know it is just the top end of uh, what are the trends and what are the opportunities, what are the career options which are available on the healthcare system. Uh, both Gaurav and uh, Vivasan, I think, uh, try to give the overall picture of how things are and obviously they give a lot of example of uh, Canada because both of them are in Canada and they've been living there for uh, over 10 years now so and they've been part of the health industry themselves in different roles uh, so they have been able to give those examples but that I'm sure as I mentioned uh, the opportunities will be very very similar in most part of Europe most part of uh, uh, the areas where we saw the, the median age are actually getting older and uh, healthcare is a huge, huge requirement. I think uh, by 2030, there'll be 1.4 billion people who will become 60 plus years. So if you are a young person in the school or college and you are, uh, you have the, you know, the, 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 the personality like like, the, like uh, empathy, sympathy and, and these are some basic qualities I think where, which is required in terms of being a uh, being a person who can be on the patient uh, facing side or you are somebody who is good at technology who can be on the back end side. So opportunities are there across. Uh, on the health sector so uh, so so choose something which is relevant which is of your interest and i'm sure uh, you will do well in your profession so gentlemen uh, gaurav and vivasan thank you so much for uh, joining us today for this uh, uh, webinar and uh, i also thank all the participants ladies and gentlemen thank you for uh, being here and being part of this and I'm sure a lot of the people who actually registered probably have not been able to join but then not to worry uh, this video will be available on the YouTube as well because this is now getting live stream on the YouTube so you can catch all the all the talks uh, what we had uh, with Vivasan and Gaurav uh, and 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 the best part is you can reach out to both Vivasan and Gaurav through their LinkedIn profiles and they've been very, very helpful for especially young and Indians. They are very happy to share their knowledge, their wisdom and guide, guide you for future in, in the specific health sector. So thank you, gentlemen, for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone. Thanks a lot for having Take me. Take care. Yeah. 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 Thank, thank you. you. Very nice. Hope you enjoyed this episode. 
We sincerely wish you could take something from our conversation today and be able to apply it to your life in a positive way. We value your feedback. This can help us improve our future episodes. So share your thoughts to serve you better. If you want us to focus on a topic which you think is of importance, let us know. We will share our expertise in future episodes. So, see you soon with a new topic and help you in your career journey.